Hey, Zach. Hello, Jackson. How you doing, man? Good. It's uh, good to be back. Yeah, tell me more about your trip. I heard you got to play at the Vic. Yeah, so uh, I recently got back from London. Uh, I was there for some music stuff and visiting some friends, but in my downtime, um, as I often do, I got the chance to play some poker at the Victoria Grovesner's or something like that <laughs> casino in... Um, in downtown London and it was quite the experience just kind of like from a cultural perspective as well it was really interesting playing in that type of casino with free water with glasses that you could fill up yourself um you know a dress code people wearing you know clothes well beyond the dress code uh slightly different than what you might find in an American casino. And I actually wrote all about it in a, a trip report that you can find on the website. But yeah, it was, it was a great, great experience. And luckily the games were good too. So. Sorry. In the future, just mention, instead of saying the website, say like, Well, that sounds awesome. Uh, were there any good hands? Well, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be here right now if there weren't. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll probably do a f- couple episodes from all the interesting hands I got into there. But first, let's kind of start with this, uh, you know, relatively simple, but I think just kind of good spot to talk over pre-flop spot I had uh, with Kings. So... Um, I was playing in a 2-5 game there, so with the exchange rate, that's a little bit bigger than like a 3-6 USD game, and there's two villains in this hand, there's a player under the gun who seemed about my age, uh, seemed like a competent professional, but seemed to be probably a little too on the tight side, and pretty straightforward as a player, um... He had about 3,000 in front of him, and this was a 500 to 2,500 game. So um, the average stack was a little under 2,000 and stacked for really deep, so that wasn't really out of the ordinary. Um, then the, the other player in the hand, he was in the hijack. He, I believe, was from Spain, probably in his mid-50s, maybe early 60s, dressed quite well. A nice watch, like a lot of the recreational players were there. And it was either him or the under the gun player that was that were the tightest players at the table. But this guy, when he played hands, kind of played in like a a pretty aggressive, kind of erratic way. Not just in his bet sizing, but just in like kind of how he handled him his chips and himself. Uh at the time after playing for three hours, it seemed like he came in more with it as a as like a three better than as a caller or an opener um so what happened was the under the gun player or maybe he was under the gun plus one uh he makes it 20 which seemed to be this player's standard race size and then the player in the hijack makes it 65 fairly quickly and then i'm holding pocket kings in the cutoff and i forgot to say the hijack stack size he is a little over 2000 i have a little over 2000 so we're all we're all pretty deep 
Okay, so you said that the under the gun player uh, seems like a pretty tight professional. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, here are my thoughts. So, in terms of that player's range, uh, I think it's pretty likely that, you know, maybe the sort of bottom of his range would be uh, something like in the sevens, eights, nines range. And then he's probably folding ace jack offsuit. So he's probably playing ace queen offsuit, uh, queen jack, maybe jack 10 suited, uh, you know, probably king jack suited, maybe not king 10 suited. Uh, have you seen this guy limp at all? Cause that would help us with some of the pocket pairs. Yeah, exactly. I, I have seen him limp in early position a few times. So I imagine he would just because the table is really, really deep. Uh, I feel like he probably plays most of his suited aces, maybe like 10 jack suited, king jack suited, pocket threes uh, with a limp as opposed to a raise. Yeah, so that makes me feel good about sort of the bottom of our pocket pair uh, portion of the range. I think something less than sevens is a lot more likely as a limp uh, for someone with a limp range. Uh, so given a range is that strong and a player... So the hijack player is, is interesting. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, you said that these two are like the tightest at the table, which so I guess like on first glance, it seems like this three bet uh, is probably pretty nutted considering the position uh, of the first player and the you know how tight they both are. But I guess, you're so you're saying that uh, he's three betting most of his most of his range that he's entering the pot with. So he's probably not quite as tight as we would expect. Yeah, I forgot to leave out the fact that um, one time he showed down a light three bet with ace four suited. And another time after three betting, uh, he got four bet and like insta folded. So I think he three bet of maybe his like seven or eight three bets I've observed so far in the first three hours of play. At least two of them were basically for sure light. Um, also for what it's worth, it's kind of hard to quantify this and it's also, it's been, you know, a few days now, so I don't remember exactly why, but there was something about his timing and just his general demeanor that made me think that this wasn't a nutted hand, uh, because he did actually three bet aces or four bet them once, three bet them once and four bet them once. And after the four bet he showed, and he definitely took a lot longer when he had aces and in, in both cases. And for whatever reason, I got some physical and timing tells that he was likely to have a light three betting hand, this hand. Hmm. Okay. No, that's interesting. So I guess based on timing tells, we can dissect, we can discount aces a little bit. Uh, and I guess I think the fact that he three bet a hand like ace four suited is pretty revealing. It probably means he is at least like somewhat educated uh, about the types of hands that work well as light three bets. Uh, would you talk a little bit more about this guy's game just in general, like a non preflop stuff? Did he seem like he knew what he was doing? Well, it's kind of hard to say um, because again, he was playing relatively tight at the table and. You know, I said these were the two tightest players at the table. Neither of these these two players were like very tight. 
you know like the the good professional is probably playing you know 11 12% of hands from early position and playing you know probably around 20 per, 20 to 25% of hands in late position but this game was just a pretty loose game um and this player was probably playing you know maybe a similar percentage maybe a little bit less but not i guess in like a as systematic as a way the only times i saw him really play post flop he kind of just played weakly and for whatever reason like folded i don't remember anything specifically besides one hand where he um he opened uh or sorry he three bet with uh with aces and i um yeah someone opened i called in middle position no no um oh yeah the seats were different at the time so someone opened i called in middle position with king jack suited he three bet uh with aces out of the blinds uh the big blind called this guy called and i called in position with king jack suited and the flop was a uh, ace queen 10 and we got in a ton of money but then we ran it twice and chopped <laughs> so that's really the only time i saw him play post flop he did like bet i raised and then he's like oh man this is so sick i'm all in for like a giant overbet shove and he's like this is so sick do you really have king jack and then just like stuck it all in uh, so that's the only time I saw him play. Um, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, that doesn't tell us a lot about his strategy. I mean, I think it's a pretty reasonable spot to get it in. Uh, although I think based on, you know, how he did it and what he said, uh, and we already knew he was a recreational player, but, uh, I think we can sort of assume there's like an element of fun to his game is not just like one of those recreational players who loves sort of like the ultra competitive, uh, just trying to do their absolute best. Uh, not that kind of competitive or rec player. Yeah. And even though he was not British, he definitely was a regular there and, you know, flirted pretty heavily with his masseuse and the waitresses. So, you know, he was there not just for poker. Well, I'm going to sum all this information up, uh, into a claim that, this guy probably has a little bit wider of a three betting range uh, than most tight two five players. I mean, I, I think it's not fair to say a little bit. I think it's a decent amount. The fact that we saw the ace four suited and, and saw the instant fold of the other three bet. So I think this this guy probably has, you know, as many, if not slightly more light three bets in this spot than three bets for value. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's great. Uh, I still think we should be four betting. Um, I think when we flat, uh, we're not going to be able to play our hand most profitably. With a hand like Kings, uh, we want to try and lower SPR pre-flop just because the nature of the hand, normally we're going to have one pair. Uh, a lot of times it's going to be over, an over pair of the board. Sometimes it won't be. Uh, but with a hand like that, I think it generally plays best when you know we're value betting and we can bet uh, two or three streets, depending on board texture, uh, and get two or three bets in that way. I think when you're talking about getting in more than two or three bets, especially in a three or four bet pot. Uh, 
with a, with a single pair hand like kings, it's starting to get a little bit dicey. So if we just flat, I do think you know it's nice that we keep in uh, this three betters range that we're ahead of. Um, but I just think it's gonna be hard to profitably get in the same amount of money. And I think that if we had a hand like aces, it'd be one thing where uh, we don't have to worry about a certain percentage of flops uh, coming with overcards. But with you know with the consideration that you know having two players with a lot of aces in their range fold is not a total disaster for us, uh, since you know ace high flops are going to come you know some eighteen to twenty percent of the time. So I, I like four betting. Uh, I think we should pick a size that gets called a lot by under the gun. Uh, we can think about his range and value target his range a little bit more. Uh, value target his range a little bit more explicitly, and then you know I think once he calls, uh, hijack the hijack's going to call a lot, and if he folds because I mean it's a cold four bet so it's going to look pretty strong. Uh, you know, that's okay. Hopefully we'll get a call from the hijack. And if we don't, then we take the, take the pot 10 variance free. Yeah, I definitely like all of that. And, um, my initial, you know, reaction at the table, I thought about it for a little bit was that a four bet is best. And in retrospect, I think, you know, even before we started this conversation, a four bet was probably the correct play. I just want to really explore, um, you know, flatting a little bit too. And like, what are all the downsides and pros of that? So, um, if we're about the things, you know, I think the under the gun player is going to be calling very infrequently here. You know, I think he'll probably call and not five bet with his other combo of Kings. It's hard to imagine. He's folding Queens because I've been playing quite aggressive, but honestly, I don't know if he loves the idea of calling <laughs> cold calling like a, a cold four bet out of position with really deep stacks against a player who, like when we went to the bathroom, um, we like kind of briefly talked through a hand. And I think he recognizes that even though I'm playing really aggressively and a lot of the recreational players are like trying to get in pots with me, he recognizes that I'm a competent player. So I think he really doesn't want to be out of position, like heads up against me. He probably has experience playing, 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 playing against the recreational player. But maybe, you know, he knows that this guy would only ever five bet aces. And then if he calls there, he gets that guy in the pot too. And then it's probably correct. It's Then it's definitely correct to set mine with all of his pairs. But I also think this guy is going to likely be overfolding as opposed to like overcalling. So it's, I think it's going to be hard to get a lot of value from the other gun player without a hand like... You know, I don't know what he does with Ace-King. He might just be like, okay, I'll pick a better spot. I only have $20 invested. Um, I do think, though, that when the other player calls, the three-better is almost never folding, uh, which is obviously a really good outcome if I four-bet and I get two calls with Kings. Yeah, of course. Uh, I will say that considering how deep you guys are, and I think the sort of unlikelihood that the under-the-gun player... I think the under the gun player probably realizes that uh, the hijack is has been three betting a lot. Maybe realizes that you know that, and so I think he's going to be pretty willing to set mine uh, with most of his pairs. You guys are really deep. He is out of position, but I think he expects it to go three out of the flop. And you know when he does 
uh, hit a set, it's going to be pretty profitable for him. With a hand like Ace-King, uh, he definitely might choose to pick a better spot. But that's not... We would like him to call with Ace-King, of course. But it's not a totally terrible outcome for him to fold Ace-King. Like, we're, we're, we're not going to get money from Ace-King uh, post-flop. So we're really just missing this one bet. Uh, so I think flatting to keep in a hand like Ace-King... Uh, you know, that's only adding like $40 of value to this hand. So I think it's definitely better to uh, four bet, you know, because I think we are going to get called by a lot of pairs. Uh, yeah, I think with that assumption, the four bet is like a super clear play. Um, and obviously, like if we were in this person's spot, I think we'd be calling with all of our pairs. Um, but for some reason, while I was at the table, I just the sense that I got was that this guy wouldn't be calling with all of his pairs that he in general just played like, you know, too tight, especially against like what he deemed like other competent players. Like there was at one point there was like him and two other professionals at the table. And I saw him just kind of take really passive weak lines against them. And one hand against me, he, um, it was like a King three, three board. I was in the big blind. It was like a three handed pot. And, I forget what I had. I think I had like six eight suited or something. He raised in middle position and late position caller I and I called in the big blind and he checked or sorry, he bet other guy folded and I check raised him and he just was like, uh and basically like quickly showed a king and insta folded. So I think this guy is gonna be over folding uh in this spot even if it doesn't make sense to do so. And even though he probably plays poker for a living. Yeah, it's pretty damn tight. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's that's a different sort of scenario. I mean, obviously, if he's going to be folding a king there, or bet folding a king there, that really, he's opening himself up to a lot of exploitation. But I think what's more important for this hand is that if he's going to be folding all of his pairs, I don't think it's worth flatting just to get him to call $40 uh, or to get that $40 of value, and then he'll just be sort of probably reluctant to put any more money in the pot unless he hits a set. So we're we're giving him a really good price to draw, and I think we're probably sacrificing value against his queens, jacks. I think he's likely to call with those hands. Uh, and who knows? He might, he might be a little bit of a different player pre-flop than post-flop. So I think he will be calling with all his pairs at least 10% of the time. Yeah, um, you know, I disagree, but obviously there's, like, very little evidence for either of us to, to go on there. Mine is just, like, from a general feel from actually playing with him, and yours is, like, you know, giving the guy a little bit of credit because he does play. He probably does play for a living. Well, so I think that there's a chance this player never calls with his pairs. Uh, I just, when I say I think he's going to be calling with his pairs at least some of the time, I don't necessarily mean that like some of the times this specific player is going to decide, okay, this time I'm going to play a pair. I just mean that sometimes this player is a player who will call with his pairs. And I'm just sort of clarifying that for the listeners. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, let's, it, it, it's sounding like this is a pretty clear four bet. Um, but let's just briefly entertain 
the the pros of flatting. So something I forgot to mention is that in the big blind is like a very loose, probably the biggest spot at the table. Um, and we've been kind of talking and being friendly and he's been giving me a lot of action. Um, and he's cold called his fair amount of three bets thus far. So by flatting here, I think, um, you know, he might cold call 10 to 15% of hands here. I, I still don't, I'm not super excited to just let people into the pot pretty cheaply, uh, with Kings here. I just think that it's the type of hand, uh, it's not a hand that reveals its relative strength very well. When you're playing at like a small pocket pair, you know when you have a good hand because you hit a set. When you're playing two connectors, you know you have, you know, two pair or a strong draw or, you know, a flush or whatever. With a hand like aces or kings, particularly kings because sometimes an ace comes and it throws a wrench in your plan, uh, it can be really hard to know when you're good. And so when you're, if you're talking about playing, you know, going forehanded to the flop when you have an opportunity to forebet and potentially get called by worse. Uh, I, I still, I don't think it's correct. Um, I mean, when you're talking about, sure, is this guy who's really bad putting $65 in the pot a plus? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but I don't know if it's, if it's a plus that we'll be able to effectively take advantage of. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the plus for him putting 65 in the pot isn't that we get 65 more dollars. It's that now he's in the pot post-flop with 400 big blinds behind. And it's kind of a weird spot, but it's almost treating kings like a... Yeah, I guess by flatting here, you're kind of treating kings as like a deceptively played set mining hand. You know, which when you're 100 or 200 big blinds deep is, a, is really bad, but could be good when you're you know, 400 plus big blinds deep with everyone um, and have a hand that no one will give you credit for. So on those rare times when you overset someone or, um, yeah, well, this is, <laughs> yeah, overset someone or there's like a paired board and you have a higher two pair. But yeah, again, it's 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 going to be hard to put a lot of money in basically if I don't flop a set. Um where if I shorten the SPR, I'll be able to get a lot more money on average and maybe even get stacks in uh, more so more, more of the time when I, when I hit a set versus flatting. Yeah. It's also a matter of like, you know, having something like 70 or 75% equity against one person's calling range, but having more like 35 or 40% equity uh, and it's not when it's, when you're talking about well, first of all, when you when you I'm talking about having even that 75 percent equity when you get called uh, after four betting. As I, as I've been sort of saying already, I just think like even though mathematically in terms of equity, it can sometimes work out to have more people in the pot. It just it's not a hand that realizes equity in a way that uh, is very visible. 
Yeah, I think I think that's an important point. Um, and also, like you said, like winning ninety dollars variance free pre flop, like that's not something to be discounted. When if I flat, a lot of the times I'm folding post flop, uh, and yeah, probably even as a good player in position, I imagine it'll be difficult to fully realize my equity with that type of hand. Yeah. Uh, so results. Well, you know, I again, like I said, I was pretty sure this was a correct four bet, but just given the dynamics, I just kind of wanted to check it over with you after four betting relatively small to 190. And I guess that's not relatively small in position, like a standard size. Um, and everyone quickly folded. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, that's disappointing. I, I do think that's actually a little bit small. Normally, so like normally my three bet in position would be like three and a half. And so when, when you're four betting in position deep and there's also someone who was a preflop raiser, I'm probably factoring in their bet. So probably three to 3.25x plus that bet. Uh, so in this case, I would probably bet something like 220. Um, but I don't. I doubt that had an impact. So yeah, I mean, you probably just caught one guy, you know, three betting like like you thought, and the other guy was, you know, had some part of his range he wasn't willing to call for a bet. Yeah, and just kind of before closing out, do you think there's any merit to you know, being unbalanced here and making it like 165 or 150 just to, because it, I think there is some size where even if the, the guy in the hijack is three betting light, he's going to call a pretty high percentage of his range. I don't think it's going to make much of a difference against the under the gun player. Uh, in terms of playing against the hijack, um, I mean, exploitatively, we could we could try assessing like 150. Uh, I do think we're missing a decent amount of value against uh, a portion of the range. Um, I guess with the hands I'm I'm sort of thinking about, like, is it worth getting extra value from these hands? Would be hands like suited aces. Uh, those are hands that we we want in the pot. Although if they fold. It's not terrible because they have decent equity against us compared to the rest of his range. Like we would love, and we are going to get him in the pot with hands like queens, jacks, tens, and that's you know a huge victory. Uh, with hands like suited aces that have significantly more equity against us than those hands, uh, although we're still a big favorite against. Uh, I think coaxing them into the pot is a good idea up until a certain point. I think that's sort of an interesting mathematical problem in terms of like how much value to give up to hands like queens through tens that we have more equity against to get hands like suited aces to call that we have a little bit less equity against, but they're more prevalent in the range. So that's like a nice little algebra problem. Yeah. And that the, also the nice thing about making it a smaller size there is this under the gun player is probably significantly more likely to set mine, even if he otherwise like wouldn't to like a standard sizing. Uh, yeah, if you think he's going to be set mining a lot more than, uh, I think, yeah, we could we could choose an exploitative sizing. Um, the set mining, I think it's worth considering getting value f- for set mining, 
but it's another instance where it's like, you know, would he set mine for 150, but wouldn't set mine for 180? And so now we're talking about like, is that $30 of value worth letting him in the pot with a set mining hand? Yeah. Well, and it becomes a little more complicated though, just because like, I think to him, the $30 is the difference, but it's more of like how he think the three better will perceive that difference. Because like for him to set mine there, he just has to be a hundred percent confident that the three better is calling with his whole like wide range, you know? Well, that's not necessarily true if you, if you make it like 150 because you're, you're 2000 deep. No. Yeah. I guess you're right. But you know, I imagine he feels like out of position against a good player like he has to be really sure that i like only have like aces kings queens here for that to be true you know well out of position against a good player holding a set not that not that difficult well i guess what i mean is like to have the correct odds to like set mine he has to be sure that when he hits his set he's going to be able to get a ton of money in which i don't think is an assumption he could make out of position to me really deep. No, that's probably true. But I I think he probably feels like it's likely uh, the th- three better is going to be calling. Especially when he calls. Yeah. So then we kind of go back and maybe the smaller sizing isn't as good because when that guy calls the other, the one the first guy calls, the second guy is calling pretty much all the time is what our, what we think. So he'll probably think something similar. So, yeah, it's interesting to figure out this this optimal size. And what it really comes down to is not the owner-the-gun player uh, because, yeah, the th- it's really just what will the three better be doing with his suited aces and maybe rare, like, suited connectors. Yeah, I think that's true, although I think we should probably be expecting those suited connectors to fold uh, the vast majority of the time, regardless of, you know, any sort of appropriate even like slightly above min three bet size or four bet size sorry all right looking forward to some more hands from this session likewise thanks man